0: There it is. All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Happy May the 4th be with you. In case you can't tell, I'm pretty excited about today. And uh, also excited because we're going to get to learn about a bunch of things. But one of the things most interesting, psychedelic therapy. All right. This is going to be fun. Tune in.
1: (laughs) Practicing polyamory. Real-life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory.
0: The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from
1: one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show.
0: All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to this beautiful May the 4th day. Uh, Before we jump in and chat with today's awesome guest, I want to quickly remind everybody to please follow the show everywhere it is that you are on Instagram, Facebook, all that social media stuff. Follow us everywhere at Practicing Um More followers helps me show up higher in search results. It's super easy and free way to support the show. Speaking of free ways to support the show, the best way is to support. uh, To support is to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you're downloading the pod. My goal, my bhaag, my big hairy audacious goal is to get to forty thousand subscribers. I know I can get there with your help. So please, if you find value in what we're doing, share it with your polycule, with your poly friends, with your chosen family, and everywhere you can on the interwebs. Lastly, and as always, I want to remind you all, if you are listening to this podcast, you're a to guest to be on the show. If you are actively polyamorous, polyam curious, or a professional serving the polyamorous community, I want to hear your story. If you are disabled, BIPOC, pan, bi, demi, gay, straight, sex worker, kingster, queer, lesbian, trans, NB arrow, ace, or Star Wars nerd, I want to hear your story. The more stories we hear, the better the world learns about us. The more representation we have, the better we can serve our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, everybody, that's my everyday spiel. Now let's get on to the best part of the show, which is introducing our awesome guest. Our guest today is one of those rare people who knew exactly what she wanted to do when she grew up. And now she's doing exactly what she set out to do as a psychedelic therapist out of the Bay Area. Having grown up with multiple ethnic backgrounds and in a border town between the between U.S. and Mexico, our guest struggled early on to feel like she belonged. This experience led her to taking extreme pride in all of her identities, and she's become adept at walking between worlds, empathetically seeing from multiple perspectives and creating bridges between people and ideas. It stands to reason then that one of the major lessons she's learned through her Polyam journey is to view her metamors not as competition, but as members of her community. As a therapist, she's incorporating her Native American heritage, try to say that three times fast, by using plant medicines in psychedelic assisted therapy, where she's helping people overcome trauma and navigate non-monogamous relationships. I'm excited to learn and hear more from this awesome guest who's offering services today out of Lafayette and Danville, California, the COO of Psychedelic Seminars. Welcome to the show, Valerie Beltran. I warned you, we were going to have fun.
2: <laughs> uh, intro. I don't know if I've ever gotten introduced like that before. That was amazing. Oh, thank you, thank you. No, oh, thanks. you know,
0: it's a, it's a little thing I like to take pride in, you know. I want to make sure that uh, I hype you up more than anything else. It's all, It's all a hype game. I'm (laughs) hyped. All right. Good. Me too. So, Valerie, tell me all about you. Uh, You have known that you've wanted to be a therapist your entire life. Now you're doing exactly that. Did you know that you wanted to be non monogamous your whole life?
2: Absolutely not. (laughs) I even consciously, or I sometimes say, I was kind of dragged kicking and screaming into polyamory. Mm -hmm. Uh, I. You know, I was dating someone, very classic story, and he was certain that it was something that was important to him, and it was a lifestyle that he had never been able to express or experience before, and at the time that I met him in his life, he had made the hard decision that it was a non-negotiable for him, Mm -hmm. and of course, I met him and fell madly in love in just a couple of days and realized, all right, if I want to have this person in my life. I guess I have to try to experience this polyamory consensual, non-monogamy relationship, anarchy, like whatever the heck this thing is, Mm -hmm. I have to give it a go. And no, it was not something I was open to. I grew up in a very Mexican conservative town, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it has a large Mexican population, very Catholic. So this was not something I was very open to. I didn't hear about it growing up.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And when I moved to the Bay area, it was definitely all around, and I was hearing about okay. it, but I was like, that is not for me. For <laughs> I get super jealous, super feisty, could mm-hmm. be very competitive with people, specifically other women, mm-hmm, so I don't mm-hmm. think I was a very good candidate for it, but like I said, I got dragged kicking and screaming into it when love just couldn't let me go, so I went ahead and tried it, and it was difficult at first, but... I navigated all the difficulties and learned from those lessons, which is why I now specialize it and specialize in it in my practice, because I want to help other people learn from my mistakes.
0: What were some of those early struggles? I mean, you didn't grow up with it. You never heard of it before. You know, it's not anything that you recognized or thought even possible for yourself. So those early struggles kind of what what were they
2: yeah for one thing I I had the expectation for myself that I wasn't supposed to feel jealous and Mm -hmm. being in a consensual non-monogamous relationship allowing my partner to be with other partners I thought that meant I had to accept it wholeheartedly and I had to be super happy running through the hills knowing that he was off having sex (laughs) with other people Mm -hmm. and just supposed to be okay and accepting of all of that
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I had heard this term compersion that you you are genuinely happy at your partners having happiness with other people and I thought that was what I was supposed to be feeling
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I thought there is no way in hell I can actually feel that that is not me I don't think that could ever be me so I thought anytime I felt jealous I I was doing it wrong. I was broken. I was a failure. I wasn't going to be able to make it work. I thought I wasn't allowed to bring it up to my partner. If I did bring it up, it wasn't received well. Like it was his first time being poly as well. So he didn't know how to communicate around it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to communicate around it. So I felt like I just had to be alone in my jealousy and thought mm-hmm. that I had to deal with it all on my own. And like, I wasn't allowed to feel it. So eventually I learned how to navigate those discussions and learned how to talk with my partner about jealousy and insecurity that I was feeling and learned how to appropriately say, here's what I need. I need a little bit more reassurance from you or I need Mm -hmm. some reminders of things that are just special between you and me that you don't experience with other people. So that it reminds me that I do hold a special place in your heart. And maybe I don't need to have your whole heart, but I do need to know that I hold a special place in your heart. So I learned how to communicate that in a healthy, mature way that I wasn't being demanding and I wasn't making him responsible for my feelings. I was responsible for my feelings, Mm -hmm. but I was also able to communicate my needs.
0: What are some of the differences between... When your partner went on a date as you guys were starting out and opening up compared to when your partner goes on a date today, what are some differences? What are some things that you did back then? And what are some things that you do now?
2: Yeah, it's like night and day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. Then there, there was no discussion around agreements, rules, or boundaries that we had with each other. There was no agreement around how much information we wanted to give and receive to each other Mm -hmm. and it was just kind of we're just gonna like flop through this if something is like accidentally spilled or if i ask a question that gets answered we're just gonna deal with it as it comes up and that did not work well with me i need a lot of preparation going into something Mm -hmm. so now in in my relationships which i'm not actually currently poly because i'm mostly single and especially Mm -hmm. during covid being poly was way too hard trying to navigate like yeah friendly practices like that was just too much for poly so I've been mostly single but now if I am to engage in those kinds of relationships I have full conversations up front about here's the way I like to communicate I like things to be all out like I'm kind of more kitchen table poly where I like mm-hmm. everything be out on the table like let's just talk about everything. I like a lot of information. It soothes me. I might recoil a little bit when I hear certain things that do still make me jealous. Mm-hmm. Don't feel bad. I still appreciate the information and I want the information, but I might just need to sit with it for a couple of minutes or a couple of days until mm-hmm. I feel ready to like come back into this or continue the conversation. So Now, up front, I'm very open about Here's the level of communication I need. Here's how I'm going to communicate it. Here are my non-negotiable rules, like Mm -hmm. safe practices. That's obviously a huge non-negotiable rule. Um, Definitely practices like here are my boundaries where I feel like I would feel disrespected if you were to do this. But if you really need that, let's talk about that. And just agreements. Like let's agree together on what feels right for our relationship. But let's do that up front so I can have as much information as possible and so neither of us is surprised by anything.
0: Is that really possible to not be surprised by anything? <laughs>
2: no. I'm going to try my damnedest to like make sure I'm surprised the least amount I can possibly be.
0: For sure, for sure. You you, you mentioned uh, kitchen table poly and when I think of kitchen table poly I think of uh, you know, a kitchen table where kind of everybody's gathered around, you know, we have uh, relationships not only with our partners, but also with our metamors, with our partners, partners, you know, kind of everybody can come to the table and maybe, you know, everybody doesn't have to be the best of friends, but, you know, everybody can kind of hang out at least. Um, and when I think of that, I kind of go back to our subject, right, which is to stop seeing metamors as competition rather to see them as part of the part of your community so my question to you is how did that transition happen what was it like early on you mentioned you you were you know jealous and and you know i could go into the 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 chicana the hispanic women you know you you don't mess with them you know you don't mess with what's theirs i i i I know a few (laughs) And so you, you have that that extreme jealousy, uh, you know, early on, and somehow you make that transition to see them as maybe even your allies. Can you tell me a little bit about how, of that journey and how that happened?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember the first time actually that I met one of my partner's other partners was metamorph. Oh, God, it still makes me uncomfortable just like remembering. I'm like reliving it right now. Like the discomfort that I felt, you know, I instantly just sized her up and tried to see like, you know, am I prettier than her? Am I going to be smarter than her? Like, can I make him laugh more than Mm -hmm. than she does? Like I just immediately sized her up in all these ways. And I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't want want her to be a real person. Like it was Mm. funny knowing that she was this other figure in his life. But for her to become a real person in my life was too much for me. I didn't want to have an actual connection with this person. And eventually I worked through that. And now it's gotten to the point where about a year ago, I was in a polyam relationship and I knew his other partner before any of us started dating. We all knew each other and Mm. then we all started dating. And so I knew her originally, which I think kind of helped, but also I think that could make it more difficult, like having this relationship or friendship with a person that then transitions into her being this metamora. That could be more difficult for me. But in this particular instance, it actually, I think, made it easier because I knew her already. Mm-hmm. So when she started dating him and I started dating him, she and I met and I initiated it. I said, I want us to meet and I want us to have everything out on the kitchen table. I want us to be able to talk to each other. And if either of us is struggling with our relationship with him, I want us to be able to help each other. I don't want Hmm. us ever be competitive or to try to break down the other's relationship. I want us to all be like a family together. And I realized over the years of Studying a lot more about polyamory, being in a lot more polyam circles, working with it with my clients, seeing how well it can actually work. A big draw for me is this village lifestyle. Like it takes Mm -hmm. a village to raise a child and polyam really incorporates that village in a beautiful way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And so why not want to be partners with my partner's partners? Why not want to have them also be part of my life and help enrich my life and the lives of my future children? And so I remember meeting with her and we had just an unbelievable conversation. And it was her first experience being poly, So Mm -hmm. she was not used to it. She wasn't as comfortable with the jealousy. She was having insecurity come up. And I did a lot of actual coaching with her. Nice. Yeah, it's like, I get it. Trust me, I have been here too. When I started my journey like six years ago, it was brutal. But let me share what was helpful for me and hope that you can avoid some of the pitfalls that I experienced. And we had just an incredible connection and were able to actually have this ongoing relationship we're still friends now, even though I'm no longer dating that person. The two of them live together still and are totally happy and I totally support it. And I'm friends with the both of them still. Mm-hmm. I'm just no longer romantic with him. But she and I have been able to call each other when we're struggling in our relationship with him. We help each other out. We're still friends. Like It's just been this beautiful partnership that has moved me from seeing other women as competition for these finite resources to realizing that she can actually enrich my life and she's enriching my partner's life. And why would I not want more enrichment for all of us? Why would I limit it to seeing her as competition and striving for this resource? Like Polyam makes these resources, like men makes these resources not this finite thing that we have to fight over, like mm-hmm. it takes away the competition, because we're no longer actually taking anything away from each other. And that's just a beautiful, cooperative thing about polyam that I love.
0: I love that too. It really is a community, whether it's, you know, the polyamory community at large, or even our polycules, you know, our, our chosen families, uh, they really become Chosen family, it, it, it can really develop to, to relationships that are that are that close. Um, what are your thoughts, though, around that comparison, right? Like you said that when you first met, you know, one of your metamores, like early, early on, you know, you instantly went to size her up. And, you know, that was like your, your natural reaction. I think a lot of people would resonate with that. I think that a lot of people even experienced polyam people you know, when they meet a partner's partner, they they do consciously or subconsciously size up that metamorph and be like, "Well, I've got this, and they've got that." What What are your thoughts on that kind of a practice and that kind of thinking?
2: Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, this is such a human thing. Like, and of course, mm-hmm. it happened. I don't think it will ever stop happening. It hasn't completely stopped happening for me, but the way that I see it has changed. Where you're right, you will. I will think. Like I've got this and she's got that, but that doesn't mean that what she's got is any better than what I have, or like, it's going to take away from my relationship with the guy. It's not going to threaten my relationship with the guy because I don't expect to be everything to one person and I don't Mm -hmm. expect one person to be everything to me. So of course there are going to be qualities that a partner likes in me and that, are wonderful and fulfilling and satisfying and that he loves and appreciates and respects. And there are gonna be qualities that he likes in other people that I don't have. And that's fine. I can't expect to be everything to one person. And I think what shifted for me around that was actually experiencing it on the other side. That when I was first experiencing multiple relationships at the same time, I realized that There are things that I get from one partner that I can't get from the other partner, but that doesn't make me love the original partner any less. It doesn't Mm -hmm. make me see either of them as like less than, it doesn't change my relationship or my bond with either of them. It's just that we're complex individuals and we need a lot of different things. And I actually realized that having another partner sometimes reduced the pressure with my original partner. I had less resentment. I had less like needs that I felt weren't getting fulfilled. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it actually strengthened my original relationship, adding this other partner. So once I experienced that, I was able to get it. I had to experience it to be able to see my partner having relationships with other women, even if they are amazing and they might have things that I simply cannot offer. They're still not taking away from me. I don't need to see them as competition because we're not fighting for this finite resource anymore. We are now just enriching each other's lives. So why wouldn't I want these metamors to be amazing women? Like I want them to be as amazing as possible because that's going to enrich my life. So it's no longer this competition of you have something that I don't have and that makes me feel less than. It's mm-hmm. you're great. I'm great. My partner is great. We're all just great. And let's just <laughs> the same level of our
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, my partner jokes about that all the time. She says that uh, her favorite way to make friends is when, you know, one of her partners starts dating somebody new because, you know, obviously we have good taste, right? So.
2: <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's such a unique connection that, that you can have with another woman. Like sharing the love for a man is such a unique connection that I, I've never experienced that with anybody. Mm-hmm. But I can talk to my partner's partners about the love that I have for them, and they get it in a way that nobody outside, like a friend outside of this, doesn't really understand. I can portray it to them, but they don't understand it from that internal perspective. Right. So it's just such a unique connection that I never would have, I never wanted to experience, and I never would have expected could be so beautiful
0: it really is. I I 100% agree with that. The connections that I've made with my partner's partners uh, is definitely something unique. And, uh, you know, one in particular, uh, you know, we we got really close. And even though uh, they're not together anymore, we still hang out, we still talk, we still, you know, have a lot, uh, a shared bond. Shifting gears a little bit, I wanted to make sure to ask you about the psychedelic therapy. Now, just the little bit that I read uh, and, and talked about in your intro, we're talking about uh, about medicinal plants mm-hmm. that, uh, I mean, psychedelic. I'm thinking like I'm, I'm going to start having visions and, and like getting yes. high.
2: Yes. All okay.
0: Talk yes, to me. Talk to right. me. I'm curious about this.
2: Yeah, definitely an interesting thing. Very exciting. New horizon of medicine for sure. So this is, yeah, definitely something that has been more fringe in the last several decades. In the 60s and 70s, there's a lot of research around LSD, um, it's acid, MDMA, mm-hmm. ecstasy, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, and, and some other medicines. Those were the three main ones. There's a lot of research in the 60s and 70s, and then everything got shut down in a lot of countries, especially the U.S. And now there's a whole resurgence in psychedelic therapy that... MDMA should be legalized for psychedelic use, for therapeutic use, mm-hmm. um, federally across the entire country within the next year or two. It should be happening very really? soon. Really? Yeah, we're in stage three trials. Wow. Yay, for approval. Yeah, so that should be happening very soon. Psilocybin, wow. magic mushrooms, should be legalized soon thereafter. So things are happening very quickly. And that's at the federal mm-hmm. level. A couple of states and cities within different states are already decriminalizing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oregon just legalized. <laughs> excuse me, psychedelic therapy. Um, Oakland, where I'm from, where I practice, um, has decriminalized all of these medicines. So, yeah, right now we're in this very exciting state where we're seeing this new horizon of psychedelic therapy. And I did a year-long training program with MAPS. It's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, mm-hmm. and CIS, the university that was housing the program, is the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco. Uh, they had a year-long training program that trained therapists and also clergy members and um, physicians to be able to administer these medicines. And what happens is with the medicines, like we'll give them to clients they have a full psychedelic experience. They will mm-hmm. have things, they will hear things, they will have memories surface that they weren't previously able to experience or allow themselves to feel. And they will have a full experience where they're talking about things or seeing things, finding new ways of looking at their lives, finding new meaning, feeling connection to other people, to themselves, to nature, to just humanity, to all of the cosmos like all of these incredibly healing experiences that people normally just don't get in other mm-hmm. situations, mm-hmm. maybe through meditation, but it is kind of a, a shortcut, if you will, to some meditative state. Meditation
0: on steroids or meditation on mushrooms.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, So it's very powerful. It's very exciting and happening very quickly. So this is definitely the new frontier that's that's coming in and, I fortunately am fully trained and ready to be able to be working with this with clients as soon as it's legalized.
0: Very cool. Now, tell me a little bit about, I imagine there's a stigma attached to that. Because, I mean, I think of uh, marijuana, right? Some people will use uh, weed on a daily basis as medicinal, right? Whether it's for anxiety or depression or all of these other things. Uh, people will use marijuana on a daily basis, and there's a stigma attached to that. So I imagine that there's also a stigma for using any of these drugs that you mentioned, uh, MDMA, magic mushrooms, uh, LSD, and you know, all these different things in a therapy session. Can you tell me a little bit about, about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There, the stigma is definitely changing. Like It's becoming much more mainstream, especially in the U S there are all kinds of articles. I saw it on CNN the other day where, um, Anderson Cooper did a story about this. And like a lot of mainstream news media stations are starting to pick up these stories because it is something that is burgeoning and definitely becoming a very real legal thing. Mm -hmm. So things are starting to shift. Attitudes are shifting, but absolutely there is still a stigma. And I, I currently supervise um, uh, at a psychedelic assisted therapy training center in Oakland. It's a low fee center. And right now, ketamine is legal. So it's already being used. And it is also a psychedelic. When used in high doses, it creates psychedelic effects. When used in low doses, it doesn't. But it is a psychedelic and it is currently being used. And even talking about that with clients or acknowledging to other colleagues that I believe in this kind of treatment, that I am trained in doing this kind of treatment or trained to be doing this kind of treatment. It, it has been a really difficult process. I kind of had a quote coming out a couple of years ago where I decided to actually put on my website that I did this year long training. Mm-hmm. And it was a big decision to put it out there because even a couple of years ago, the scene was very different. There was a lot more stigma now mm-hmm things have changed tremendously that I wouldn't even blink an eye. I talk about it very openly that nice. I'm praying for psychedelic therapy. But two years ago, I was really hesitant to put it out there because I knew that other colleagues would probably be more reticent to refer clients to me because they thought that I was like a drug pusher. They thought that <laughs> I was a crazy hippie who didn't know what I was talking about. And yeah, it was just like giving people drugs and not knowing what I was doing. So there is definitely a stigma and that's hard and that can affect the set and setting. We talk about set and setting a lot in psychedelic therapy that the set is your mindset going into it and the setting is of course your physical environment. And the set and setting make all the difference in your experience. So if you were to recreationally just drop acid at a party where you're not mentally prepared for it, you don't have somebody there to be guiding you, is probably a lot of uncontrolled situations going on, it can be a very dangerous experience. So people have this in their mind that it can be a horrible experience and it can be. But when you're in a controlled environment where the setting is with a guide who's trained, somebody who is sober and there to completely take care of you and help you through the difficult times, it completely changes the experience. But the mindset going into it, if you have a negative connotation for drugs in your mindset coming into it, that stigma could affect your experience. So I've, I've worked with people who have had these kinds of psychedelic therapy experiences who grew up in very fundamental religious backgrounds or right. felt like drugs were a really bad thing. So to be seeking this kind of treatment is completely taboo. And that definitely affects the experience. But that can be something that you're able to work through to see those taboos as something that can be changed, that you can loosen yourself from. You don't have to stay um, stuck in these taboos, that you can decide for yourself what feels right. So it can be a very positive thing, but it can also really affect your journey. So I mm-hmm. think as people are experiencing less stigma around it and attitudes are changing, I think the mindset will only get better. And will only increase the healing that people experience with psychedelics.
0: Nice. It sounds like sometimes people need a little therapy before the therapy.
2: Like, absolutely. Yeah. You don't do the active medicine session without a lot of preparation, so, like, <laughs> many preparation sessions and where you also want to feel comfortable with your therapist. Like you need to mm-hmm. feel comfortable right. with the person who's going to be with you. So mm-hmm. You have lots of preparation sessions in the weeks and sometimes months beforehand. You get very clear on your intentions what you want from the experience, any difficult memories or experience or feelings that could come up. You're very clear on all of that. And treat as a very sacred thing so that you're fully Mm. prepped and ready and intentional going into the active medicine session. And you have the active medicine session. And then you have integration sessions afterwards for weeks or months afterwards where you're integrating everything that came up. So you saw this angel who came and delivered this important message to you. What are you going to do with that? How do you apply that to your daily life? How do you keep that feeling of connectedness with nature and all of humanity? How do you keep that in your daily life when you have to go back to your high stress, high pressure life?
0: Got it. There's a lot that goes into it. Definitely a lot that's going to go into it. Um, Valerie, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, This has been super interesting. Uh, I would definitely love to have you back and uh, dive even deeper into the psychedelic therapy. I feel like that could be a whole 30 minutes right there, but we got, you know all into your 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 personal past and those great great stories I I love it and and everything around that was really really awesome so uh thank you for being vulnerable thank you for uh sharing I want to give you an opportunity now to uh share with the audience uh if they wanted to work with you for psychedelic therapy or for anything else uh what is the best way that anybody can get in touch with you
2: yeah, thank you. So the best way is through my website, therapywithvalerie.com. Um, you can email me therapywithvalerie at gmail.com. Um, those are the best ways to connect with me. Instagram as well. Um, that's more of my personal Instagram, but feel free to DM me there if you want. It'll definitely connect you. Um, yeah, those are the best places. And for psychedelic therapy, since it's not legal yet, I do help with the preparation and integration session. So I can't sit with you legally for the active medicine session. I can't provide medicine for you right now. But if you plan to do that on your own, I'm happy to help with the preparation sessions and the integration sessions afterwards.
0: Very, very cool. All righty. Well, Valerie, once again, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate your vulnerability and uh, everything that you shared.
2: Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you, James. I really appreciate all of this. So thanks for the space. This is great.
0: Of course, of course. And thank you as always to our live audience for tuning in as a reminder when we're live you get no commercial interruptions but the same cannot be said for those podcast downloads so if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions be sure to catch us live monday through wednesday or sign up for patreon where you get access to commercial free rss feed and support the show don't forget to subscribe on youtube and wherever it is you download your podcast and if you haven't already please leave us a review we'll really appreciate it don't
1: try do or do not There is no trying.
0: You know I had to throw it in there on May the 4th. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much. Have an awesome day. Catch you next time.